Welcome to the Association 4.0 podcast. I'm Sherry Budziak, CEO and founder of Source. Association 4.0 is how we describe the skills needed to navigate Industry 4.0 or the digital marketplace. Welcome to the Association 4.0 podcast. I'm Sherry Budziak, CEO and founder of Source and the host of today's podcast. Today, I have the honor of talking with Bill Bruce, CEO of the American College of Occupational Environmental Medicine, about resilient leadership and how he has led ACOEM to be positioned for success during the pandemic. And we will gain insights on his views of the future um, for associations. So welcome, Bill. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Sherry. It's great. I'm glad to be here and I'm looking forward to our conversation. Great. Um, so uh, I'm curious, Bill, you know, how has the pandemic experience changed your thoughts about the future of the association industry? Yeah, um, well, I think I think that differs depending on the kind of association that you're in. And I'll, I'll speak first sort of about, about our organization. For our organization, um, ironically, I think the pandemic was um, was a blessing in disguise. It, it, it was a... Um, a clarion call for our members to wake up and to become more active and more visible and to address some of the issues that occupational medicine is facing um, that a lot of other organizations maybe aren't. And I think, I think medical societies out there in general all felt varying degrees of, of this same call to action, the same import. And um, um, I, I hope a number of them are, are seeing some way to, to have found benefit over the past, past year or so. Um, if I step aside a little bit and, and think about organizations that maybe aren't in care delivery in any shape or form, um, I imagine those organizations are really having to rethink what their what their value model is, um, how how they get in touch with people. They're, they're to a, a lesser extent, they're having to solve for the same problems that we had to solve for very quickly as a medical organization. And um, I think now what we're what we're seeing is um, an unknown about what is what is the future of work. Um, that's okay. that's not going to be unique to associations, but it's something that we're we're gonna we're gonna be affected by. And um, it's going to change everything about the way we think about what it, what is the workplace and and what how do how do we as an association, uh, as the staff of an association, guide our organizations to deliver value? And how has that value proposition changed in the past year? Um, right now, I think we're mostly guessing still. Um, things haven't settled, but um, I'm, I'm sure that we're not gonna get to a point that things are just like they were a year and a half ago. I don't think that's ever gonna happen again. I, I think that the world is forever changed as a result of this because it has forced us to rip the bandaid off of so many, um, so many of our customs um, that we thought were non-negotiable before, and suddenly they they didn't matter almost overnight for a lot of us. And and you know, getting things done and and, and being connected with people um, had to begin to happen through different means. And um, one thing that I think is really important for. Um, my more extroverted colleagues to recognize is that um, you got a lot more productivity out of your introverts over the past year than you ever have before. 
And they're not the ones that are making noise about how exhausting it is to go to the office every day, but they're the ones that totally blew you away over the past year and what they could do from home. And because they don't get their energy from being in a room, having people talk loudly around them, they get their energy from being able to focus and um, put their head down and, 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 you know, really get through some stuff. And so it has been in a way 2020 was the year of the introvert, which I've kind of yeah. appreciated. I mean, I've, I've always been an introvert and I've, I think I've always been good at compensating for being an introvert, um, which is a skill that you have to have if you want to ascend um, in your profession. Um, because extroverts kind of make all the rules normally. And, um, you know, so, but this year, I think all of those rules that, that were designed to make extroverts comfortable and productive in the workplace were thrown out. And that was an opportunity for us to see the different types of work and the different ways that people can get things done and be differently productive. Um, on the other hand, I, I, you know, a lot of my extrovert friends, uh, gosh, they, they, I feel for them because they're, they're struggling. They're having a really hard time. One of one of my best employees um, is uh, has a very hard time with not having human exposure, and you know, she because because the energy is just not there for her. Um, mm -hmm. So it's been it's been a rough year. Um, but you know, anyway, I think as we as we look forward. I'm hoping that we are able to find a new balance of, of all of these different things and sort of reset what we think the workplace is and what that means to the people in it and how we bring people together, um, both on the staff side and on the value delivery side for our organizations. Yeah, it's been interesting, Bill, because as you know, through our other company, Data Community, we run meetings and the people that were very engaged with our virtual meetings are ones that we were always begged to come to our in-person meetings. And they yeah. said, they're like, we love this, this format because I'm an introvert. And it was interesting because behind the screen, they were very, they were the most outgoing during those meetings. So it was just, it's very interesting. And for myself, we, I presented in person at WSAE a couple of days ago, and I'm not an introvert. And I was so excited. I was like, yes, I'm in a room with people. This is so right. exciting. And you're right. It gave me a different energy than presenting behind yeah. the screen. So it's been that, that dynamics has been very interesting. I think of learning experience for, for all of us. And, um, uh, you know, over this, this last year, um, yeah. but I think, I think going, you know, looking, looking forward, um, we're trying to balance this. We're trying to find the right, um, sort of the right mix of expectations to set for staff and, and, and uh, my ops team and I just discussed yesterday what we were going to do in terms of, well, when are we going to require people to come back to the office? And um, at the end of the conversation, we arrived at, we're probably not going to require people to come back to the office. Um, we're going to welcome people who want to come back to the office. Um, and we may add to that a, an expectation that certain staff meetings and team meetings will be in person. But outside of those meetings where, where there is clearly value in being able to share the same space with your coworkers, um, how they get the productive part of their day done, uh, we're gonna leave to them to make the best decisions. And as long as we're managing around their strengths and abilities and doing that, everything is gonna be fine. Yeah, that's great. Um, I know that's a big conversation that people have going on right now. And, um, there's definitely different views, and I think that's a that's a great approach. Um, so, 
Bill, let me ask you, like, what do you see are the challenges um, or what do you think is kind of the next disruption that you see for associations? Wow. Um, I think, well, if, if we think about the past year, the next the next real disruption is going to be um, well, it, I think it, it sort of builds on the previous points, which is how do we re-engage people who sort of fell by the wayside over the past year? And how do we retain the people who were able to shine in our organizations for the past year? And um, reimagine what that means from how we represent a profession uh, all, all together. Um, the, I think the next big disruption is is likely to be um, some somehow related to the, the generational progression as as the last of the um, boomer generation retires and um, the beginning of the Gen Xers start to step out of the way. We're going to see the millennials and Gen Zs and Gen Ys and I forget the alphabet of new generations and how we're referring to them, but. Um, we're going to see the younger workforce sort of step out into the forefront. And um, what's interesting that, that if you're looking around now, you'll see a good number of that younger workforce is um, almost refusing to go back to a 40, 45 hour work week in an office kind of work scenario. They're, they're just, it's like not, they're not having it. Um, and so I think operationally, there's going to be, there's immediately a disruption and a culture conflict around organizations that are invested into work happening at a place rather than work happening around an idea. And um, a, a, a one great example of this that was kind of surprising um, was I saw a story just to, over just this week about um, the engineers of Apple who were flatly refusing to return to what is arguably the most beautiful workplace in the world right. <laughs> they'd rather work at home and um you know and even even as an introvert i was looking at thinking you know if i had the opportunity to go to that building every day it would it'd be hard not to because it it it, it, it embraces all of these different work styles and they've, they've 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 attempted to build it out as a way that um everybody could feel home and 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 um, be productive based on on their own individual needs and there's downsides too to that design and that approach which which I, i'm aware of but um you know what we're seeing though is that a good number of people now realize that they are more productive and uh, more rewarded by having a different arrangement for how they get work done um and for organizations that that are we're looking to the day in mid 2021 when everybody is vaccinated and everything is open back up and great now i can have everybody start punching the clock at 8 a.m in my office um they're they're gonna have a rude awakening for how people are going to respond to that it's going to be very hard and i think i think the next year and a half are going to be a real challenging period for people who want to hold on to this old idea of you work in a place not on a thing and um, you know, we'll, we'll have to see how that works. And, uh, you know, we're, we're attempting to take that head on, like I, I said previously with, with our approach, uh, of mixed requirements and flexibility, um, that, you know, and we'll monitor it and all, if it works out, uh, we'll, you know, we'll talk about it. If it doesn't work, we'll change it and 
and talk about it um, and see that. Um, but beyond that, I, I think it does, as a trend, this is going to call attention to the expectations in the workforce of the newer and younger entrants. And as, as those folks who are, who we always looked to as the, the, the next generation behind our generation, as they move into management roles, they're going to bring with them different expectations and, um, you know, in a certain sense of making it their own. And so we're, we're going to see that just like we do every 10 or 15 years, we're going to see another major shift in mm -hmm. office culture and productivity culture that all associations are going to do. I think from a, um, from a membership standpoint, um, membership has to be far more value driven than it's ever been. You know, my organization, we're, we're lucky in, in some ways in that um, the majority of our membership um, feels like it's a professional achievement to be a member of the professional organization because they're in this profession. They embrace the idea of membership in a society as part of showing that you're a, a participant in a profession. Um, what that says is the median age of my member is older than me um, and growing every single year because the younger generation does not perceive value in that way for the most part. I mean, there's, there's outliers in both cases, but um, mm -hmm. the younger folks coming into the profession um, are going to think more about doing math around this and they're going to think more about how, how, do I, how do I advance my professional goals by this relationship to an association. And um, so it's, it's, I think, harder to get those folks who are looking at what they can receive from membership directly. And, and is that the one, is there competition for where they could get those things? If you're looking for a mentor, um, are there places that somebody could get a mentor that is equally as good at, uh, outside of your association? If so, I would worry about that. Can people get education and current information outside of your association and what you provide is so that's those are other things to worry about if what you provide to your members is not unique or have some degree of, of exclusivity that drives your membership value um i think this generational shift is going to begin to kill off some some dinosaur business models in the association world and um yeah i, I so i think everybody's going to have to be much more flexible um, running associations in the future to survive this tide of um, retirements and, and just folks aging out of professions. Some of them will stay on forever. I've got some members that are in their 80s or 90s and are still active and engaged and um, participating in virtual events uh, with no trouble at all. Um, but that, that's, that's kind of a, you notice it because it's rare. <laughs> Yeah. That, yeah. That's, that's why it stands out is because the, for the most part, um, there are certain stereotypes around uh, age and technology that this past year has shown a very bright light on. And some, some of those stereotypes were broken down by people's ability to sort of get through it because they're still, it's important for them to be in their profession. And so they, they, they close that gap um, and realize that those gaps weren't as big as they thought from the other side. Um, but this also was a, you know, is a winnowing year for people who are like, I'm out. This is too much. I can't do this anymore. So yeah, yeah. So um, so on the other side, I guess, what do you feel are some opportunities um, in the future? Um, I think it's 
Well, it, it, it's a great time to, um, to begin having a real conversation about what it means to be in, in the profession that your association you know, represents. Um, for us, um, I've spent a lot of time this past year having conversations with our younger members and mm -hmm. sort of trying to get a better understanding of, of what brought them into, into the organization and into the profession. And, um, but also I'm, 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 I've been doing a lot of outreach into trying to find out about people who maybe aren't involved, but they're clearly in the profession. So somebody who's working within the profession um, but hasn't joined. Maybe they've shown up to some of our virtual events um, and they, they've not joined. So we, we, we try to reach out to those folks and say, and try to understand more about why are they not participating? And that's kind of what's driving sort of my opinion about the, this, this generational shift is, you know, these people are doing a, a membership value calculation differently than Gen Xers and boomers would normally do. And it's a bit, I would say it's a bit more brutalist in their approach. You know, what what do I get for these dollars, and how does the, what is what is the value back to me by doing this? So there's an opportunity, I think, for organizations to actually go out and exploit that and identify places for you to create value that maybe you're not currently or deliver it in a different way. And um, you know, one thing one thing that really helped us this year is is with all of the changes we made we were able to gain the attention of a, a far greater audience than we would have had we handled 2020 like any other year and from that we were able to um, get access to a lot of thinking and our other people who participated in these things that we would have been close to we wouldn't have known it was there we would not have seen um, interests in these different nuanced areas of occupational medicine uh, as being as strong or as important or you know the perspectives weren't weren't there so i think there's an opportunity um, as we're rethinking what work is in the future to rethink what people doing that work will need and get value from and how those align with the broader missions and and, and strategic goals of our organizations and as long as we're able to have an open mind about where that might take us i think most associations probably have an opportunity to, um, uh, to, 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 to develop some growth plans out of this or to, to become a fresher, more vibrant organization. Um, that requires some flexibility of thought that may be hard for folks um, sometimes, unfortunately. Um, but uh, for those that could get over that, um, you know, every, every challenge is turned upside down, it's an opportunity. So, and this is no different. Yeah. I know. I I think um, you know everybody had to make a lot of changes quickly. What I'm hoping is that for a lot of these organizations, they don't kind of slip back into you know pre-pandemic, right? Because we were forced to do some things differently. We had a lot of uh, flexibility or understanding from our boards and our members if we made mistakes and. Um, I hope that kind of continues and we see that as an opportunity to, to try new things and see, as you said, kind of where our members or the, that new audience that, that we were able to attract, you know, how do we service them and, and potentially service them differently. Um, and I see that as kind of a big opportunity, but 
You know, with that said, Bill, one of the things that I watched you do very quickly, you know, everybody can say they pivoted to virtual meetings, um, but you did right away and you have had a lot of success and you've had, you know, you kind of have done a lot over this past year. Um, and, you know, fortunately for those of you that don't know Bill, Bill has a very strong IT background. So you were able to actually, as a CEO, also do the work and help your team uh, learn, right? So there was, it was almost like you had, you know, you had the knowledge to be able to, to help with that transition quickly. But yeah, why don't you tell us a little bit about that shift and what are your plans at ACOEM for, you know, the future over the next year or two? Yeah, I think you know you hit on a on an interesting point there. I think I think my 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 technology background um, uh, more than helping in the moment, it it sort of gave me a perspective that I think led into how the pandemic was. Um, I'm, I'm I feel a little guilty saying it, but it was pretty well timed for us. Um, we we had a lot of things coming in line that made us more nimble in the moment where we needed to be nimble the most. Um, as you know, I mean, we, we did a complete digital transformation. We replaced our, our almost our entire technology stack in the organization over the previous few years and um, had gotten to the point where the majority of those systems are, were at a comfortable maturity and in full operational status. So we were able to leverage them immediately. Um, at the end of 2019, we began an aggressive goal to do far more webinars and invested into the um, all of the infrastructure we would need to be very quick about developing digital content, getting it out there, uh, making sure that that content was high quality and could provide uh, real member value with that doesn't that is, so you have you know very clear audio quality, very very good video where that's appropriate. Doing some post production on the recording, so it's not just we're just not, we're doing more than just having a Zoom meeting. Um, we were already doing that before all of this hit. So um, you know I think when when we had that moment of okay, um, there, there there's definitely something that's going to happen. And I remember it was in early January. I canceled the trip. I was going to go to India. Um, at the end of January uh, for an international meeting. And at the time, uh, there was a couple of reasons to cancel the trip, but one of them was definitely, we were starting to see reports of, of the coronavirus coming out of China. And um, I just, I personally didn't feel comfortable going um, because of uh, it, where it looked like the shape of, of the epidemiology was going and the, and the disease spread itself. So. Um, so we, we, we stayed home, um, and that was kind of the beginning of, all right, let's really start taking this seriously. Cause there's no way, there's no way that uh, this isn't going to become at least a major regional epidemic, if not a pandemic, we could, we could see the writing on the wall at that point. And we began to track it once, um, once it was clearly going to happen, we began looking at what, well, what are the impacts of this for our organization? We had to think about our annual conference, of course, but also, you know, all of our, um, all of our operations and all of our events that we, we had planned for the year. Uh, in addition to our annual conference, we'd have normally five or six in-person training events um, that would be held here in our offices or other locations. So, um, you know, we, we, when when we had to make the final decision, uh, we had already done a lot of the, the preliminary thinking of, of 
um, how we were going to make decisions in this new environment that we saw coming. Um, and, you know, we benefit, and I shouldn't take all the credit here, I need to give credit to our members. Our members, um, you know, they, they work to uh, protect the health and well-being of the American workforce. That's their, their, their main goal is to keep workers safe and healthy. Occupational medicine um, is the area, profession that concerns itself with health problems that are due to work and work problems that are due to health. And so if you, if you look at it that way, you know, everything about uh, an epidemic or a pandemic was tickling all of the things that our members are already aware of and concerned with. So we were able to be very nimble in the decision-making as a result of a pandemic. It was well-suited for us. Um, and so we, we canceled our event. Um, and once we made the decision and sort of triggered all of the processes that that, and some of them are still um, still ongoing, um, we were able to pivot and think, all right, well, um, we're not going to have an in-person event, but we had, uh, but until that point in time, we identified a program of content that we thought needed to be produced. And uh, we looked to how can we, how can we capture this content? How do we not waste the intellectual effort that our members put into their profession over this previous year? Um, and we made a, a tremendous effort to um, to record those sessions, not as conference sessions, but as individual sessions that would be made available to our membership. Um, and we were able to get about 45% of those sessions. And, and you know, part of why we weren't able to get more is all of the remaining sessions involved people that were suddenly working 80 hour, 90 hour work weeks because of uh, COVID-19 and the coronavirus mm -hmm. hitting, hitting us in, in full force. But we also were able to very quickly look and say, all right, well, this huge thing is happening in the world and we have a specific message that we need to get out. And so um, beginning June of last year, we started a series of virtual symposia. So a three-ish day event where we take selected topics around the progression of, of COVID-19 and coronavirus and what we know about it and how we can get to that previous thing of concerning ourselves with the um, you know, impact of work on health and health on work. And um, we're able to develop multiple events of curriculum around how to educate people about what's, what's happening and what they need to be thinking about next. Um, and those, those were tremendously successful. Our first virtual symposia, um, June of last year, we had, uh, we had several hundred people um, and they had about three and a half weeks to register. We, we had almost no notice by the time we pulled it together. We had the idea of this. Um, planned how we were going to produce the content, get the content produced, and at the same time, open registration and promote it. And, and uh, we were blown away at how enthusiastically uh, this was embraced. And, and the, the biggest surprise to, to us in that first one is that about 42% of the people who registered for it uh, were non-members. They were, you know, this was something that the, the entirety of medicine had decided that they wanted to get into. And we've seen... Um, about those numbers for the successive two uh, virtual symposia. We did one in the fall and one this past winter as well. Um, at the same time, um, because we had planned to do this, uh, we went from an organization that two years ago did uh, zero to one webinar a year to an organization that now averages two to three a month. 
and uh, that so we, we we ripped all of the band-aids off to get into digital production of this kind of content very quickly for a small organization um, and ha have learned that as long as you're willing to inject things into your profession from the staff and society side you're, you're going to be rewarded with engagement from your members and it, it's kind of obvious but um, our organization was an organization unfortunately that had fallen out of that habit and this was a way for it to rediscover that, um, which is great. So it was easy for us to pivot. You know, we made the call to um, everybody work from home. We're not gonna do this anymore. And because we had done the previous digital transformation, all of that paid for itself that moment because everybody just took their laptops and went home. Nobody, mm -hmm. needed, nobody needed a VPN. Nobody, everybody could do every part of their job anywhere on the planet. And this was the ultimate acid test of that theory, which um, for me with my tech background, that actually felt good to have that all validated um, so completely. And um, you know that carried through with our ability to produce new products and events and, um, and focus on that. And you know, really that pivot was for us to say, how can we increase our relevance and maintain our existing operations as much as is viable in this new environment as this is happening? Um, and that, that was the approach we took. It, it, it was, it was fantastic. Uh, we were very happy with the result. So your last, I, I saw the social media from the last, uh, program that you guys just, just produced. Um, and I saw people in the office and production, um, filming and, and all of that, which looked really cool. Can you kind of tell our audience a little bit of what yeah. that took and, and how you guys planned that? That meeting, yeah, that was, you're talking about our annual conference. Yeah, the, um, yeah. Last summer, when we were looking at the um, at sort of how things were unfolding with with COVID, um, we made we made what was even then still a somewhat difficult decision of um, this is going to have to be a virtual event. We couldn't we canceled in 2020. We couldn't cancel in 2021. We needed to have our annual conference, and um, you know, a couple of things that we had to do to make that happen is we had to extend our, our um, proposal submission dates. Normally, uh, we, would, we would do a very typical thing of requiring people to have those submissions in eight, nine months in advance of the meeting so that we could do all the vetting, printing a pre-program and um, getting everything done. We extended our deadline out to only um, four months before the event and did a very compressed program development period at the end of that. But um, we had, we intended for the event the event to be a really good virtual event um, by design from the beginning to try to find the best mix of what it's going to cost us to produce and the um, overall positivity of the experience that we could provide to this event, which is not just content but attempting to do things to sort of fill the the networking gap for people who really do thrive on networking and events um, and. As we, you know, as we began that process, it was a survey of all of the virtual event platforms that are, are, are were available and relative, you know, within a certain price range. I mean, there was a, there are some fantastic platforms out there that if you could drop half a million dollars on, you'd be very happy with. Um, we're not that organization. <laughs> yeah, many um, most aren't. <laughs> yeah, and um, yeah, and and 
the other thing is that there's some side commentary about the predatory pricing and of, of some of those organizations that happened over this period of time. You know, a lot of them really took advantage of their yeah. need. And um, thankfully, you know, we, we didn't go with anybody who um, rushed into this industry because it was an opportunity. We went with people who had, who had believed in sort of virtual uh, conferences from the beginning more because their client base was initially very international and travel has always been a thing for folks who are international so as our time zone. So, so um, once we had picked our platform um, and understood the production workflow with that platform, we began developing plans to sort of just fill in those holes. And, and so for us, um, we use SwapCard, which is actually uh, the folks that you guys use. Um, mm -hmm. And I mean, that's not why we picked them, but, but when we were looking at all of the systems that are out there, um, all of the systems I really wanted to like and like a lot. And I had, I had some strong bias in some directions going into this process. Um, once we started looking at those things uh, and trying to put ourselves in the position of a you know, late 50s, early 60s year old physician who expects something very different from an event, it, it became pretty obvious that these things that I thought were important were actually not. Um, and um, that, that we needed to make a different decision. Um, so um, our platform required us to have a production process that included capturing the sessions up front, which we have, a, we did a mix of production methodologies. Some of our, our program um, needed a little bit more production value than what we could do through simple things. And so um, we use a product called OpenReel uh, where we we send out basically a media kit that includes um, some easy to set up tripods and LED lights and some we use iPad minis for this that allow us to do video direction remotely with uh, you know VIPs and um, you know so we would have a session where you know if there's a speech that needs to be given or a presentation that that is sort of a, a keynote or a VIP presentation. Uh, we want to put them in the best light possible. We want to make them look good as professionals when they're presenting at our event um, so that they are, are invested in the outcome. Um, and this was a way that we could capture really high quality video of them without having to send a crew and um, we could still you know, let them do it wherever they want. Um, separately, we would, you know, for the, for the most of our run of the mill sessions, we would capture in Zoom and, and I should probably write a blog post on, on how to get the best quality Zoom recordings because there are, there are some ways that you could get, you could get some excellent Zoom output if, um, if you used the right equipment, which isn't super expensive, um, and use the right settings so that somebody who's going to do post-production and video uh, is going to be able to have something to work with other than one squished up video and, and audio file where everything is in just one place because that, that's great for slapping something quickly up on YouTube or website, but it's terrible if you want to reflect a brand or a personality uh, as well as you can. Um, when we had the actual event, we had these most of our sessions pre-recorded. Uh, we brought in an AV company to sort of help us with the, uh, the quote unquote broadcasting of this. So, for us, the event was a mix of um, playing back a live, a, a, a live playing of the recorded content. And then at the end of that, uh, we would transition into a Zoom experience between the faculty and the moderator 
um, to handle live Q&A that was coming in through Swapcard. And the people watching on Swapcard were able to um, you know, type the questions in, chat with each other, and uh, interact with the faculty um, in a way that, that really, there was a lot of engagement, a lot more than we expected. Tons of people, you know, everybody figured out the chat box right away. Q&A box, most of them figured out. Um, and by having people here at the office, if you look at those production photos, you'll see that you know, we, 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 we treated each of, this, each of these sessions like they were in a room like you would in an actual event. And we had concurrent sessions. And so for each, however many concurrent sessions we have, that's how many room teams we had. And that would be an AV person and a staff person um, to help onboard the faculty as they're coming into the system, make sure that they're okay, get them through some quick AV checks. And this can all happen while they're already produced video of the session is playing. You know, they don't, they don't need to be there presenting right then in that moment because we've already captured the session presentation in a way that is great and we mm -hmm. confident. So while their session is playing, we're making sure that they're comfortable with all of the things that we put in front of them to handle the Q&A, make, make sure that they're able, that they're in the best position that they could be to be successful. Um, and that meant that they were also very engaged in the platform and responding to Q&A and uh, were able to answer questions during their session while they were speaking. And just like we had with our first virtual event but last year, um, there were a number of people who realized on day one, day two, towards the end of the day, wait a minute, this isn't live? <laughs> you know, because it, it really did come together in a way that was convincing and, and, and authentic, um, which is important. Um, you know, the, because of the way we did it um, and because of the tools we used, all of those things were immediately available uh, in our case on Vimeo as a recording of the session. So I, you know, capturing the session recording was no longer an additional, you know, uh, uh, level of effort. It, it just, by pumping it to Vimeo at the end of the session, that recording is done. Vimeo has the audio and video recording of that entire presentation that went through, we used a tool called Wirecast, which is more of a video production tool. Um, and we're actually using it for a virtual symposium that starts tomorrow um, uh, in, in very much the same way. So uh, everything that get, got sent into the platform for the event was captured as a unique video asset that has everything we need for it. And so those, the, that now becomes our enduring material. Um, right now it's still in the virtual platform. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was, there's a lot, I know that was a very long answer, but there's actually, there's a ton more <laughs> that goes, goes into producing an event like this. We had, um, uh, we had about 30 people in the office at the end. It was difficult to do this from, you know, trying to keep them socially distanced and have mm -hmm. protocols for how we were actually going to do this. Uh, we set up our own, um, stage, uh, almost a, a, a real sound stage with professional video systems to capture our, our the speeches that had to happen from here um, we introduced a town hall uh, which is something we, we always have our annual membership meeting but um, we introduced a town hall discussion uh, with leadership that I, I monitored this year uh, which we handled the same way and um, I think it um, you know it, it all seemed to go very well all right we, 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 we got we had phenomenally good feedback and in the end if we look at this by any measure, we had we had more people register for the conference than we ever had. Um, while uh, it didn't it didn't produce the same the budget we had hoped for, there there were some 
contributing factors for that. One, we wound up charging less than we budgeted. Um, two, we over we were overly optimistic uh, for the enthusiasm that we would have in May of 2021, based on our experience in June of 2020. <laughs> um, yeah. we, we, we failed to anticipate the lack of enthusiasm for virtual events at, for that point in time. Um, so we had a little bit of a gap. It was, um, you know, it was, it was not, it wasn't enough to make it a, it definitely was a successful event, just not quite as, as successful as we had hoped. Um, and now that we're, Kind of recovering from it, um, the, the the feedback has been almost universally amazing. Uh, we really are happy with with the impression that we've given. And um, one of the things that I've heard a, a few of our members say um, in different ways is that they're just they're surprised that an organization our size could do this, and that that this and specifically that this organization could do this because it was stuff that they weren't they're not accustomed to seeing. Uh, ACOM as an innovative uh, organization that that is able to keep up the stamina of putting new things out into the, the environment and, and and that event was the cherry on top of a year of learning how to do that well. Yeah, that's terrific, Bill. Um, so just to kind of close this up, uh, I guess what do you think is the most important thing that leaders can do right now to position their organizations for success? Um, well, it seems, seems kind of redundant, but um, I, I would say there's, there's actually maybe three things that I would tell anybody. Um, hire people who are intellectually curious and open to change. Um, if you Good. have people who are, um, I don't think it takes courage, it takes confidence and a, a, a willingness to fail without consequence uh, to have an employee who can go in and experiment with a thing. Um, you know, you'll tomorrow I have, um, I have people who have never done technical work in their career that are going to be producing an event using a major broadcast tool through a major streaming platform and a virtual event platform. Um, none of them have any credentials that say that they have any business doing that, but we're, but they're going to do it and it's going to be amazing because they all are the right kind of people to go out there and be excited to get to learn something that's new. Um, none of them are the it's not my job mentality type professionals um, and all of them are able to learn. I think um, having the right team, you know, in addition to the other things happening correctly for us, having the right people in the right place was essential. We couldn't have done it without certain members of our team. Um, it would just, we would have fallen on our face. And, um, you know, so I think having, having the ability to hire the right kind of talent and the willingness to be challenged by your staff um, is essential. Um, so I guess I, yeah, the other things I was going to say were, you know, be open-minded and willing to change, but that's all I'm really, I'm, I'm saying all the same thing is to, um, the most important thing is to not assume that tomorrow will be the same as today. And even more importantly, not assume that you will be able to interact with tomorrow the way you interact with today. All of those have to be flexible all the time. And if you can do that and embrace that, um, which is hard, um, then you can, you can find a way to be successful. I'll focus on what works and not, and rather than what doesn't.
Yep, great. Well, thanks, Bill. It's been a, a great talking with you today. I really appreciate your time. I know you're really busy and headed into another <laughs> virtual <Yeah>. meeting. <laughs> so I really appreciate the time that, that you've taken um, to share kind of your story and, and advice to the community. Um, so just, uh, you know, I hope you enjoyed, the, those of you that are listening, enjoyed this episode and discovered tips and information that will add value to your leadership style and your association. Uh, .org source specializes in positioning teams for success with solutions for technology, strategy, and marketing. Please connect with us at info at to put your group on track to Association 4.0. I hope you enjoyed this episode and discovered tips and information that will add value to your leadership style and your association. .org source specializes in positioning teams for success with solutions for technology, strategy, and marketing. Please contact us at info at orgsource.com to find out how to get your organization on track to Association 4.0. You can also engage in other educational content by becoming a member of .org community or reading our books on Association 4.0, which you can find on Amazon. We look forward to hearing from you soon.